Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Well, do pick up a Bible, and we're now going to have our reading, and we're in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. In a few moments, James is going to come and preach from that. Uh, But first our reading is page 1145, so turn to page 1145 and look for 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our reading is going to be from verse 6 to 16, page 1145. And Isaac is wonderfully going to come and read that for us, and then over to James. Isaac, thank you. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're continuing our series uh, at the moment in a part of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. And basically, right at the start of early Christianity, there are a whole bunch of churches all over the eastern Mediterranean. And a guy called Paul the Apostle, who's one of the founders of the Christian movement, then started writing to all these churches. And there's one such group of churches in a place called Corinth in Greece. And he writes this letter to him. Uh, It's a fantastic little bit of the letter, and you should have a handout that's coming around for you to be able to write notes on, that kind of thing. Tonight, we're going to think a little bit about what it means to be really rich. Why don't I pray? Father God, you say in your word that the Spirit, verse 13, explains spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's what we want this evening, to see Jesus, to hear about him, to be taught things of God, things that are properly and eternally true. So we pray that you'd do that for us this evening. Amen. We've been talking a little bit about, the series title is, is The Message of the Cross. But another way of saying that really is to talk about God's wisdom. What is God's wisdom? His big idea, his big message. So our passage starts today in little number six. Uh, there, the verse six. We do have a speak a message of wisdom. What is that message of wisdom? Well, last week Simon spoke brilliantly 
uh, in the bit of the Bible before, which talked about how the message is Christ and him crucified. Little number two, just above. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says that several times throughout this letter. The thing that gets Paul up in the morning is Jesus dying on the cross. That must sound bizarre. Surely that's a terrible, horrible thing. The reason Christians have always celebrated the cross, and the reason we've got a massive one behind me, up above, is because at the cross, uh, our forgiveness was secured. God forgave us all of our sins, all of our wrongdoing, all of the ways in which we're broken. He said, I know it all, and I love you, and I forgive you. We've already explored a little bit this earlier this evening about expiation, the muck and filth of our sin, washed away. That happens at the cross. And it's kind of what we want to talk about every single week at church. It's massive, and it's at the center of history. And not just did he kind of die to take on all of our filth and all of our sin and all of our misery. It wasn't just what he did, if you like, but what he did specifically for us. So verse 7 in our passage. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. It's easy to miss those three words, for our glory. The reason Jesus went through so much pain and horrendous difficulty, dying on the cross for humanity, is so that we could have glory, so that we could be elevated. He would be lowered and we'd be brought up. There was a kind of swap going on, a substitution, that he experiences all of the kind of disaster of sin, and we experience all the joy of his glory and goodness, that we're brought together with God. And there's another clue in this passage of what's going on. Look at this little poetic bit in number nine. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, and then brackets, the things God has prepared for those who love him. For those who love him, he's lovingly prepared an eternal joy. The thing that Christians have called heaven. That when we die, those who love Jesus and are loved by Jesus will go to be with him forever. And to experience real intimacy. That's the message of Christianity. That's always been the message of Christianity. And it always will be until Jesus comes back. That Jesus died on the cross and rose again for us, for our glory and to secure intimacy with him forever. That's Christianity 101. And the reason Paul says that is the wisdom of God is because it is brilliant. Wisdom is just, it's a good thing, isn't it? Think Dumbledore, Yoda, Gandalf. Just wisdom is something you want. The reason this is the wisdom of God is because it's so class. We were lost because of him, now we are loved. Which means it's kind of tragic that the world doesn't get this. Just doesn't really understand God's wisdom. The first thing, God's wisdom, this age doesn't get it. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. It's not the wisdom of this age. The message of Christianity, you won't see kind of sold on T-shirts and H&M. You won't see it kind of plastered across the world. You you rarely see people uh, kind of tweet 
this who weren't Christians thought, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> You'll see Christians kind of do it. It's not, a, it's not a slogan that we want to capture. The slogans of our age are, you know, we all kind of know them. Believe in ourselves. Look inside. Become the real you. Everyone is good, really. We've just got to dig deep into who we are. Discover our identities and we can flourish and fly. Unless, of course, you're really bad. You do something really, really unforgivable. And then we kind of just cancel you and just kind of push you to one side. But for most people, it's all about becoming the real you. And you can do whatever it is that you've dreamed of. So, therefore, the world says, why do we need the cross? Why do we need Jesus to come wash us away? If we're all just brilliant and we just need to reach for the stars, we don't need someone who's going to rescue broken people. That doesn't make sense. And if there are some sins that are so bad, they're unforgivable, then why on earth would you have a God who's prepared to forgive the unforgivable? The cross just doesn't, just doesn't compute. It's worth saying the cross is kind of never really computed with societies at large, but often for different reasons. They kind of, often people have got different sticking points with it. So in the first century, the idea was, uh, we, kind of, we don't really get this now because of where we are 2,000 years later, but in the kind of in the Roman Empire, around kind of Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, it was all about the strong people in life who can trample on the weak to achieve the best. You want to be like Pericles and Hercules, Odysseus, strong men usually, who can dominate and use the weak and crush people. And so why would, earth, would you have a God who's so weak that he dies in agony for the sake of losers? That doesn't make any sense. Don't just take my word from it. This is, on the screen, the earliest ever depiction we have of the cross. And it's a piece of graffito found in an ancient Roman school, drawn by someone who's not sympathetic to Christianity, taking the mick out of a Christian. That's the original on the left, as in a photograph of the original. I didn't steal the original. And uh, that's it cleaned up on the right. And the words in Greek say, Alexemenos worships his God. And on the cross, you've got uh, a kind of human with a donkey's head. That is genuinely the first historical depiction we have of a cross. And a couple of things occur to me as I look at that. First of all, I think, here's someone who just doesn't get what Christianity is about. They think, it's so dumb to die for other people on the cross. They've drawn a person with a donkey's head. Probably don't get just how offensive that is. The second thing I think of when I look at that, so I think, go on, Alex Eminos. It's not easy to say that. Go, go on, Alex. What a legend. He's clearly just walked into a school and be like, guys, you need to know about Jesus. And so much so that he's just, I don't know, hacked people off and they start digging historical artifacts into the walls to get him to shut up. I just think, what a legend. But this is just shows, doesn't it, that people have just, it's not weird and new that people don't understand or get Christianity. The cross kind of does something weird to people, and it just doesn't tally with the wisdom of this age. Verse 7 says, no, we declare God's wisdom. It's a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. The thing about a mystery is it needs revealing. Think kind of Poirot or Luther, if you're younger, or only murders in the building. You need to unearth the mystery and he's revealing and Paul says that's what Jesus' message is like it's not that it's secret but it's a mystery that just needs unveiling, revealing 
do you, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of talking to someone about Christianity and that you just you kind of sense they just don't really get it. Like they're just not. They're just kind of asking questions that are just kind of. I'm not sure where you're kind of going with that. You just there's shutters kind of coming out. and it can happen with people whether they are the most brilliantly intelligent people in the world or not so much. I, I was struck studying uh, theology at uni- uh, a university recently that you can have some scholars who genuinely are some of the br- most brilliant minds in the world who know their Bibles even back to front, but they just kind of miss really obvious things. And really, really, really intelligent people can say things about the Bible that just seem not that smart. I don't know if you remember this, but Simon and I, we had a text exchange because I was reading one scholar and I, was, I remember I texted you a picture. I go, Is this guy saying what I think he's saying? And this guy was saying about St. Paul that, oh yeah, St. Paul, he, he doesn't really like the Old Testament and he just kind of, uh, he'll just dig out his favourite words and ignore what the rest of it means and he has no real respect for it and he just uses it to try and make his own points. And... <laughs> Like, Simon, is he really saying that? Simon's like, I think he is really saying that. That's outrageous. And that is outrageous because in our passage this evening, he quotes the Bible, Old Testament, overtly twice and hints at it several times. He does it all the way through his work. He quotes the Old Testament more than he quotes anything else at all. He loves the Old Testament. You think, how could someone so brilliant, who's published by Oxford University Press, say something just that dumb? It's not just true of, I guess, scholars, but to be fair, it can be true of many of us. And it's been fascinating. I've been part of the, the Mark drama cast, learning the events of Mark's gospel. And if you read Mark's gospel, which is an account of Jesus' life, you read it through, and people just consistently, persistently fail to get what Jesus is about, including his disciples. His next and his best follow him around. There's one particular incident where three times he gathers them around and says, guys, I'm going to be as clear about this as I can possibly be. I will teach, and then I'll get arrested by people, and then the Romans will crucify me, and then three days later I will rise again from the dead. And they, they just don't get it. So much so that at the end of the story, or near the end anyway, I should say, spoiler, uh, when he is executed by the Romans, they're all gutted. And you think, guys, you've read the same stuff as we have. <laughs> This is all part of the plan. This is fine. And it's only when Jesus rises from the dead that they really get it. It's kind of like a mystery that people are just kind of almost blind to. And they need the blindfold taken away. And there's something in Paul's language here, isn't there? That he says, not the wisdom of this age, verse 6, or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The people who seem like the big dogs, the religious authorities, the social gene experts, political authorities. There's something about the high and mighty who don't really get Jesus. And I think it's because if you're used to controlling everything, if you're not used to needing anything, because when you say something, it happens, why on earth would you need a God who's going to die to take away your sins, to bring you to be with him? It just doesn't make sense. And that is why Paul says, not many rich people, he says, end up being Christians. If you look at uh, number 26, uh, higher up the page on 1145, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
important to say, he doesn't say not any. The m there is doing quite a lot of work. But he is saying something that is just true historically, that Christianity traditionally has always been a religion of the downtrodden and the working class, of slaves, of women, of orphans, and of the weak. Other people just don't get it. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. This is a staggering sentence. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Suffice to say, if the kind of religious authorities of the day had got what Jesus was about, they probably wouldn't have killed him. That's fair to say. I remember sitting with a guy who had just come from mainland China and came to a Mark Drama event that I, was, I also was attending over at Royal Holloway University. And he watched the whole thing, and then he asked me a question. He said, why did they execute that guy? He was so good. And he's got a point. Just think, as Jesus was dying on the cross, kind of being tortured to death, just normal things were happening around them, people buying and selling things, people walking past on the way to work. Nobody got that the Lord of glory was dying. God's wisdom, this age doesn't get it. Secondly, the Spirit reveals it. And this bit's the good news. See, the things we cannot know, the Bible says God's Spirit reveals to us. Verses 9 and 10 say this, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Now, just to rewind a little bit, Christians believe in something called the Trinity. Christians believe that God is a Trinity. One God, we're monotheists, but three persons, each of whom are equally God in all of his majesty and glory, but each of the three persons is also distinct. It is the role of God, the Holy Spirit, to be with all of the Christians all of the time and to reveal God's message to us in our hearts. He lives in us and is invisibly speaking us to us and shaping us. And this is an incredible privilege because of the vast treasuries of knowledge and of glory that God has at his disposal, he gives to the Holy Spirit who then shares it with us. Because of his immense glory and the relentless love for his people. That's what the Spirit loves to do. This is what a guy called John Calvin about 500 years ago had to say about it. Think about this. Nothing that is in God escapes the notice of the Spirit. Nothing. God is beyond our imagining. But the Spirit knows all of it because he is God. And that's what he shares with us. Now listen to the flow of logic, if you like, that Paul is getting at from verse 10. So... These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. It's a bit technical. There's a 
there's a logic there, a flow of thought. Let me go through it and see if you can follow. So firstly, God knows his own thoughts. That's not a controversial thing to say, is it? All of us know what's going on in our own brains. Only, only we do know what's going on in our own brains. No one else does. Same with God. God then shares that with Paul and with Christians who have the Holy Spirit, who receive God's own understanding. So verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit from the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. So what God knows, he shares with Paul, and then Paul teaches it to others. That's what he's doing as he's writing this letter. He then shares it with others. And when he says he shares spiritual realities, spiritual matters to spiritual people, we kind of hear the word spiritual, and in our day and age we think, okay, that means less real. Paul means, no, 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 he means what's more real. The things that are really true in this world are the things that God reveals and Paul teaches. But notice how much repetition there is in those three sentences. There's a word that just comes up over and over again, isn't it? The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Because that's God's Holy Spirit who is involved at every stage. See, it's God's Holy Spirit who knows all the thoughts of God. It is God's Holy Spirit that Paul and Christians receive and who dwells with us. And it's God's Holy Spirit who explains spiritual reality to us. He is utterly essential to the whole process. And without him, there'd be no way of God sharing his thoughts with us. There'd be no way of Christian teachers knowing anything. We'd all be stumbling in the dark. Just to slow down a bit here. What this means is that nobody, we think, can understand the message of the Bible without God's Holy Spirit. That's what we believe as Christians. Nobody can get what's going on in this book without God's Holy Spirit. The good news is, he loves to give it. It doesn't matter how clever we are, we need his help. This is why uh, we, always, we tend to pray here, don't we, at the, uh, at the start of the service? We tend to pray before we preach at St. Michael's. We also pray as we're preparing the sermon, those of us who do preach. The reason is we're asking God over and over again to help us get this, but also to help everybody get this. And it's always been this way. This is a guy called Martin Luther. He's a bit like John Calvin 500 years ago, but he's, all, he's a lot more cheery. Here he is on the screen. I, I like to think that's a smirk. He's writing a letter to a guy he really disagrees with, who's not a Christian, about Christian matters. And I'll read a portion. Some of it will be on the screen. Conviction in these matters is the Spirit's gift and not a work of my own office. So we should pray to God that he will open my mouth and your heart and all men's hearts that he himself will be our teacher in the midst of us, working in us both our speaking and our hearing. As he, as he writes this guy, he's like, I'm going to pray that God makes this really obvious to you. It's a bit like, imagine you're at a gig. You walk in. And the state, there's a long stage all around, so you actually don't know where they're going to arrive from. And then, boom, all the lights go off. And it's completely dark. And you can feel there's lots of people around you, but you have no idea where to look. You have no idea what's happening. That's, 
that's what it's like to try and read the Bible without God's Holy Spirit. We just don't have a clue what's going on. And then, boom, the spotlight comes down and shines directly on the stage. And there she is, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Yes. We can see it. And that's God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is there to shine a spotlight on Jesus and all he is and all he's done. And once we've got it, it is amazing. We start to see everything in light of God's good news. We just see everything through that lens. Verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. I don't think that means that Christians are the most judgmental people in the world. I think what Paul is saying is once you can see Jesus, you begin to see all things in light of him and how he works. But such a person, verse 15, is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord is to instruct him? And what a way to finish this is. Last little sentence. But we have the mind of Christ. Ultimately, that's the gift of God to you if you're a Christian here this evening. You might think, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. You've been given the mind of Jesus. The things that he knows, that the Holy Spirit knows, that God himself knows are given to you freely. And his mind is constantly explaining stuff to us from this book, showing us what it's all about, and showing us Jesus. God's wisdom, this age doesn't get it, and the Spirit reveals it. Now, so what? So what? Why should we care? Should we do something as a result of this, you might ask? Well, I wonder if there's... uh, two different kind of categories of people who kind of come across this stuff. The first is uh, someone who might feel like, I've never even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. I, uh, I, you know, people come to church all the time who are exploring these things, thinking about it. You might not think, I've never really encountered the Holy Spirit. I don't think he is within me. When you hear this stuff, don't you just think, I need that. <laughs> I need that. I need God's wisdom. By any means necessary, whatever it takes, However much money that costs, I will pay all. If I have to swim the channel, whatever, I'll do it. I need it. However hard it is to get it, surely it's worthwhile. This is how hard it is, Jesus says. It's at the bottom of your handout. Ask me. And it'll be given to you. Ask. Jesus says, we're kind of human parents. We know to give good gifts to our kids on the birthdays and on Christmas, how much more, he says, will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? He loves it. To give you nothing more precious than his entire self to be with you. Look, there's more to learn about Christianity. There always is. And if you're exploring these things, feel free to keep coming back, exploring these things. But why not ask him to help you? And pray something like, God, if you are true, why don't you Show me that you are true and come and be with me. And here's the thing. He will never turn away that prayer. Never. That's the first category of person. The second category of person is maybe someone who who is a Christian here today. And we believe that if you are Christian, you have God's Holy Spirit. That he is just with you. And that is a real privilege. But if you're anything like me, sometimes... I just wish I could be 
a bigger deal. Do you ever have that? I like to play a couple of games. One game I play is I walk around Teddington, and I'm in a generation that will kind of never buy a house in Teddington, let's face it. So I walk around, and I don't want to get too extravagant, but I just look at some of the houses that I would buy if I had however much money I'd need to buy. I don't know if anyone else plays that game. There's one on the way to my kids' primary school at the moment, but just lovely, Fiat 500 in the front, uh, charging point, looks quite big. Not too big, I don't want to be greedy, but I just think that would be, it'd just be great if my life was a bit better, I was a bit richer, I could have that. I'm now 32 years old. The chances now of me being called up for England, are, are they're getting smaller. They're getting smaller, those chances. I'm now at the stage where I don't even care what sport I get called up in. I'll do it. Like badminton, let's go. I'll, that's fine. I wish I could just play football and just get paid loads of money and just be a big deal. I wish I was richer sometimes. And then I remember I've been given the Spirit of God. I've been given the things that God knows are at my fingertips because I've got his word and I've got his spirit living in my heart. And what that means is that I could not be richer. Let's pray. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Lord, we thank you so much that you are so willing to share your mind with us. And that for those of us who know you and who are looking forward to the things you've prepared, we are the richest men and women in the world. Amen.